0: Well, today we draw our study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome to a close. Well, actually we finished the body of the letter a couple weeks ago, and last week we began looking at the personal notes and greetings at the end of his letter, And, and there we found a portrait of the Apostle Paul. By looking at his goals and plans and desires, We were able to see into the heart of this man of God, to see what what made him great, and it was an exciting picture we were able to paint. This morning, we get to the greetings at the end of his letter, and there we'll find snapshots of many of the former day saints to whom he wrote. Now, you may recall that Paul had never been to Rome. He wasn't writing to a church he had founded, and where he was personally well-known. So to assure that his letter would be well-received, he makes as many connections as possible between himself and the Roman Christians, and he does this by name-dropping. I'm sure most of us have heard, it's not what you know, but who you know. Well, the Apostle Paul and what he knew was obviously more important than who he knew, but he still wisely used the who-you-know card and mentioned everyone, apparently, that he knew in Rome, sending personal greetings to each one of them. And that's the way he draws this book of Romans to a close. Now, on the surface, it might seem that this would have no relevance for us today, but I think it can if we will picture ourselves in this list of saints. Instead of merely seeing this as Paul sending greetings to the saints of the first century, let's pretend that he's sending greetings to us today. Let's imagine that Paul is writing to Chatham Christian Church, and we are the individuals mentioned in this letter. Well, then, since Paul generally makes a short statement about each individual mentioned, as we read through these verses, I want you to keep asking yourself what Paul would have to say about you. Would he commend you by name for your work or faith, as he does many in the church at Rome? Or would he merely mention your name, having nothing particular to say about you, as he does some? Or would he avoid mentioning you by name at all, but make it clear that other Christians were to avoid you because you're a troublemaker, causing dissension in the church, as some were apparently doing in Rome? So let's take a look at these former day saints And look for ourselves in their midst. Well, before Paul actually starts mentioning those he knew in Rome, he has a few words to say about the one who was bearing the letter to Rome. We begin first verse of the 16th chapter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Phoebe was a deaconess. That's what the word translated servant here actually means. And she was from the church in Sancria, a little village on the coast south and east of Corinth. Now, not only may she have been called a deaconess, she had perhaps been actually set apart as a deaconess to minister to the needs of individuals in the church because they recognized that she had gifts of ministry and compassion and had a heart to serve. And she was a helper of many, including the Apostle Paul. She was a woman who did whatever needed to be done And now she's been entrusted with the delivery of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Now, one commentator has noted, she carried under her robe the entire future of Christian theology. (laughs) Now, that may be overstating the case, but not by much. Phoebe was obviously a woman to be admired, and Paul encouraged the church in Rome to welcome her and meet whatever needs she might have. He then began his greetings to the saints in Rome, beginning with a very special couple. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that's in their house. Now, Prisca is the Priscilla that we find in Acts. Priscilla is the affectionate uh, diminutive of Prisca, like calling Nicole, Nikki. This couple we know fairly well. They were a Jewish couple that was forced to leave Rome in 49 AD when the emperor Claudius banished all Jews from Rome. As a result, they went to Corinth and entered into their trade as tent makers or leather workers. It was there that Paul met them and stayed with them, being a tent maker himself. Evidently, it was there that they accepted Christ. They then traveled with Paul to Ephesus, bought a house, and opened it up for the church. While there, they took aside Apollos, a traveling evangelist, and explained to him how Christian baptism differs from the baptism of John, and it was probably in Ephesus that they risked their own necks for Paul. It appears that they then moved back to Rome and once again had a church in their house, and Paul sends special greetings to the house that met there. Priscilla and Aquila were certainly special people. And Paul said not only he, but all the Gentile churches gave thanks for the ministry of this godly couple. Maybe we ought to ask ourselves at this point, who gives thanks for our ministry? Be that as it may, let's read on and take a look at some of the one phrase commendations Paul passes out to the other saints he knew or knew about in Rome. Greet Eponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother, and mine. Greet Asyncritus, Philegan, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them." That's a great passage to ask someone to read in Sunday school, isn't it? (laughs) And if you're really good, you say them fast and nobody knows whether it's right or not. Well, since Paul uses the same phrase to characterize several individuals, let's, let's group uh, a few of them together by Paul's comments concerning them and, and think about that particular commendation. Did you notice that uh, Eponidas, Ampliatus, Stachus, and Persis were all referred to as beloved? Apparently, they had worked their way into Paul's heart. In some special way. And I'm certain it was more sincere than the email I got from India that was addressed to my beloved pastor Rick Winneborg. As we mentioned a couple weeks ago, it was a scam. Eponidas was Paul's first convert from Asia, so he would naturally be special to him. We know nothing of the rest, only that they were beloved. And that says a lot. You know, if a former member or youth minister wrote back to us, would you be referred to as beloved? Have you done anything to endure yourself to the brethren and to the leadership in particular? Are you building a reputation around your loving nature? Or are you hard to love? Maybe we ought to think about that. Would Paul refer to us as beloved? Then we find four individuals who were noted for their hard work. The word used for hard work is an interesting one. It means to toil to the point of exhaustion. And it's interesting that the word is used to describe the ministry of women in the church. Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, and Persis were all ladies who toiled to the point of exhaustion for the Lord. Tryphena and Tryphosa may have been sisters, probably twins. Their names mean dainty and delicate, yet the reputation is that of workers for the Lord. How many times have the dainty and delicate women of the church put men to shame? by their hard work. And how long has it been since you toiled to the point of exhaustion for the Lord?" Then we get a glimpse of a couple, Andronicus and Junius, most likely a husband and wife, who were outstanding. Paul refers to them as kinsmen, so they were fellow Jews, and he even refers to them as apostles. Now. This is being used in the broad sense of the word apostle. They weren't apostles to the same degree as were the Twelve or Paul, but they had apparently been sent out by the church, had suffered imprisonment with Paul, and were even his seniors in the faith having become Christians before Paul. What more could be said of such a couple than they were outstanding? They were numbered among the greats in the faith. Will our names ever be remembered alongside the names of great ministers and missionaries and workers in the church? What a legacy that would be to leave to our children. Now, it's true that whatever we do for the Lord will be remembered by him, but why not be remembered for your service in the kingdom by other Christians as well? Next, we find Urbanus, along with Prisca and Aquila, who were known as fellow workers in Christ. They worked together, sharing common goals and objectives, and were singled out for their willingness to help. Are you known for your willingness to help? Can others count on you to join in and help do whatever needs to be done? Or do they not even bother to call you anymore because you've refused to get involved so often? Then we find a man with a commendation that I particularly like, Apelles, who was approved in Christ. What a way to have your life and ministry summarized, approved in Christ. Is it obvious to others? That your life and ministry has found approval in Christ? If not, why not? Then we see two households that were known for their faith. Most likely these households were primarily the slaves and servants of Aristobulus and Narcissus. And there's a good possibility that Aristobulus and Narcissus were no longer alive. And their households had fallen into the possession of the emperor. That was a common practice in that day. But still, those households are known for their faith. What about your family? Is it known for its faith? Do those who live around you know that you are a Christian family? And perhaps even more important does your family life reflect Christ's presence? If Paul were writing to our church, would he single out your family as a family of faith? Next we meet Rufus or Red. And Paul said Rufus was a choice man in the Lord. We don't know anything more about him for sure But we do have a good idea who his father was. Simon of Cyrene, the man who carried the cross of our Lord, had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And most scholars believe this is the same Rufus. If that's true, his father's influence must have indeed made Rufus a choice man in the Lord. Can you imagine Growing up in a home where your father told and retold of his experiences on the road to Calvary with the Son of God, no doubt that would have an impact on a life. So how many times have we told our children of our experiences on the road to Calvary with Jesus? Do our children know of our personal walk with Jesus and how he has affected our life? Or do we just take them to church and assume they know why we go? And not only did Rufus have a special dad, he had a special mom, one Paul even referred to as his own mother. Apparently, she was a woman who mothered Paul. We don't know any more than that about Paul's relationship to Rufus' mother, but that's enough to challenge us. You know, I think there's a special ministry available to senior saints in the church, especially women, to take younger Christian women or men under their wing and into their homes and mother them. You know, Marilyn and I will never forget Tina Brennis in Kansas. She and Mike lived out in the country, and we loved to go there just to get away for a while. She took Marilyn, who was then an 18-year-old preacher's wife, living 400 miles from home, and really mothered her. She even taught her to use a pressure cooker to can fresh green beans. (laughs) Something she might have continued doing if I'd been a gardener. (laughs) You know, there can be a real ministry in mothering others in the church. And Rufus' mother is remembered for mothering the Apostle Paul. How cool is that? Then we come to an individual without much of a commendation. All that's said about Herodian was that he was a Jew, a kinsman of Paul's. I think it would be very sad to have a letter such as this come to Chatham. And the only thing that could be said about us was that we were members of the church. Could anything more than that be said of you? And then we notice that nothing special is said about two groups of Christians in Rome. We don't know if they were friends, small groups, or committees in the church. But I do think it's strange that Paul said nothing of their work or ministry in the body. I wonder if there aren't some Christians who feel they're serving the Lord adequately because they're on a committee or a board or part of a class. Is that really enough? What are you really doing there? Could Paul say more about your group than it exists? And you're a part of it. Well, that completes Paul's personal greetings to the saints in Rome. I hope you're able to find yourself there and were challenged to think of what could be said about you but we're not quite to the end of the letter. After sending his greeting, Paul reminded the Christians to greet one another. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, notice he did say holy kiss. It was a culturally accepted sign of affection. I'm not really recommending that we start kissing each other every Sunday. Maybe a hug or a handshake would be better. What's important is that we are instructed to greet one another. They were, and so are we. So don't just hurry in and hurry out, unless you're late, or you've got a class to teach. Linger a little bit. Greet one another. You know, we we used to take time to actually stand up and turn around and shake hands, and we kind of quit that. In our germ-concerned society, some churches have gone to elbow rubs. Uh, (laughs) I don't know that either of those is essential, but we need to take time to just say hi, or eat a donut, or drink a cup of coffee with somebody, greet one another. Greet one another, that's that's what he's saying. Then Paul mentions some who are to be avoided. And I trust that none of us would be included in such a group. He says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissension and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what's good and innocent in evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you some were known for causing dissension in the church they were not slaves of christ but of their own appetites and their bellies and they could be identified by their smooth and flattering speech the brethren were to keep an eye on such persons and turn away from them they weren't to get involved with them or their sins even in a feigned attempt to do something about it. You know, Paul says we are to be wise in what's good and innocent in what is evil. We don't have to associate with the wicked or study wickedness to defeat it. God will take care of it. He will crush Satan under the feet of saints who simply seek to be holy. That's what a saint is. That's what we're called to do and be. Several from Corinth then sent their greetings to the church at Rome. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Scipiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Tertius was the secretary who actually wrote this letter as Paul dictated it. And Gaius, who was known for his hospitality, was Paul's host in Corinth. Erastus and Quartus had their greetings. And finally, Paul concludes with his third benediction. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. With that, we close. Jesus Christ is able to establish our standing through faith in His Word. That's why we study it, and that's why we live it. As a church, we're committed to knowing God's word. And living what we find in it. That's why we spend months at a time going through a particular book. Beginning next week, we're going to be back in the Gospels again. We're going into, uh, into Mark's Gospel. And we'll probably spend a year, year and a half in the Gospel. We need to know what God has to say. We need to incorporate it into our lives, and we need to live it out. If we'll do that, the kind of commendations that were given to the believers in Rome could be sent to us. Think about yourself. Think about what would be said. Try to be honest and then be challenged, perhaps, to do more. My desire, and I trust your desire, is for God to take us and use us. And that's why, together, we're going to stand and sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee.